0: is coming, and on that last night, he asked for three things for his disciples. He asked for three things. So if you were, if you knew that you were praying your final prayer, what would you be praying? If you knew you were praying your final prayer, what would you be praying? I think it would probably be a little more uh, deep than, oh, Lord, bless me, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. And he's praying this final prayer. This is his last prayer. And so what it does, it shows where his heart really is. It shows where his heart was. It shows what he was all about. And so on this night, Jesus prayed three things. If you're keeping notes, he prayed these three things. On this night, he prayed, number one, for his disciples, or you and I as the church, those that follow his disciples, he prayed, number one, that they would be kept. Everybody say Kept. He prayed that they would be kept, and he prayed that they would be kept from evil. He prayed, number two, that they would be sanctified. Everybody say sanctified. He prayed that they would be sanctified by truth. And then thirdly, he prayed that they would be one. Everybody say one. So he prayed that they would be kept, he prayed that they would be sanctified, and he prayed that they would be one, one in him, one with each other, one in love. But as you look at it, I want you to look at how he began his prayer. In John chapter 17, John has recorded this, that he, he is praying, he lifted his eyes up to heaven, he said, the time has come that, that you're going to be glorified and you've given me power over all flesh. And... Um, And you've given life to those that you've put in my hands. And then notice verse 3. Jesus made this statement. In verse 3, he said, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Notice he said that they might know. When you look at the word know... That's a big word. When you look at it in in the scripture and look it up in the lexicon of the New Testament words, you'll find that it's got a very long description and a very long definition. But he used this term. He said that they might know thee. There's a vast difference between knowing about and knowing. And so Jesus' prayer was that they might know who you are, Lord, the one true God. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter three, verse seven, he's talking to us about what got a hold of him. And don't you look close at this in Philippians three seven. Paul said, "But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ." Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. And I know you've seen this 10th verse. He said that I may know him. Say that with me, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings been made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, Paul had met Jesus. Paul had met him in a very dramatic fashion. Actually, Jesus introduced himself to Paul. So Paul met him in a very, uh, very dramatic way. Jesus introduced himself to him. But Paul's telling us after that introduction, I've spent the rest of my life in pursuit of really knowing him. We meet a lot of people. Some of y'all have like 4,000 friends on Facebook. So if we just were to stalk you on Facebook, we think you, man, you know, everybody. The truth of the matter is, is you don't know that many people. You may have 4,000 friends on Facebook, but you may only know about 100 people. And you may only know about 10 people really well. You may only know one or two people really, really, really well. And so Paul said, I met Jesus, but I wanted to do more than just say I met him. I wanted to pursue after an intimate understanding and knowledge of him. So I began to grab hold of everything that I could, and I counted everything but loss in the pursuit of really knowing Jesus. And so Jesus is praying, Father, this is my prayer, that they would know you. You know a person can know about food and starve to death. A person can know all about food and starve to death, and and I know it's a very simple thought, but I wanted to give it in a simple term to introduce this to you, that a man can remain spiritually dead even knowing all the historical facts about Christianity. Reading about Jesus doesn't mean you know Jesus. Knowing all there is to know about Christianity doesn't mean that you know the life that is there. And so Jesus is praying, Lord, I'm praying that they would know you, the only true God. Because this is life eternal. It's life eternal that they might know you. And he didn't say it's life eternal that they might know about you. You see, you've been on a pursuit. Many of you have been on a pursuit of saying, I want to do more than go to that building and sit on a chair. I want to know the one that that building is built in honor of. Knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge is not a bad thing. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7 that if there had not been a law that opened my eyes and gave me understanding, that gave me some knowledge, the law taught me about right and wrong. The law taught me what's good and bad. The law taught me sin and, unri- and, and righteousness. The law taught me that. That's knowledge. That's having had knowledge. But Paul goes on to say there's a whole lot more than that. Are you all with me? Paul goes on to say there's a whole lot more than that. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, to them who walk not after the flesh but after God. The Spirit, for the law of of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit... The things of the Spirit. Paul is connecting this to the religious aspect under the law. He's also connecting this to life. If you pursue the religious aspect of the law and only do things because the law dictated how to do it, that's merely empty religion. And merely empty religion is not going to save you. It doesn't matter how good you know the scripture. If the scripture is not lived out in your life through the influence and the power of the Holy Ghost, it's nothing but just following the letter of the the law. They that are in the flesh cannot please God, even if they're doing the right thing. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Verse 9, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans eight ten. and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit of life, or but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. You know what the word dwell means? That means he lives there. Ask your neighbor, is he dwelling in you? Dwell. That means that's where he lived. That don't mean that's where he comes for vacation. That's not, you're not his Airbnb. You're his home. If the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you. If you don't know you're full of the Holy Ghost, you need to know that you're full of the Holy Ghost. The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth. That means that he's staying there. His spirit lives, abides, resides in you. I want you to clap your hands for four that received the Holy Ghost over this past weekend. Can you thank God for that? It might have been five. There was a couple received the Holy Ghost at uh, y'all's house the other night. So, praise God. So, fundamentally, Jesus prayed that we would know the only true God. So, he started out that way. I'm praying that they would know thee. This is life eternal, that they would know thee. Then he prayed, first of all, that we be kept, that we be sanctified, and that we be one. Those three things. He prayed that we be kept... He prayed that we'd be sanctified. He prayed that we would be one. So notice in John chapter 17, verse 6, I'm going I'm to read this part of the prayer. John 17, 6, he said, I have manifested thy name unto, unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world." And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Everybody say, deliver us from evil. When Jesus was pr- teaching us to pray, we, we have what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now y'all, y'all hang in here with me. We have what we call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter six, when he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's teaching that, teaching us how to pray. Actually, John 17 is the Lord's prayer. John 17 is what he actually prayed. What we call the Lord's prayer is a model that he gave us to follow. And he tells us this in Matthew 6, 9, After this manner, therefore pray ye our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And notice the last part. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So he teaches us to pray. And as he teaches us to pray, he's telling us to pray for your own self. That you not be led into temptation and that you be delivered from evil. He prayed for us in John 17, and that's the text scripture where we started. He prayed. He said, Father, they're not going to be removed from the world. Y'all, y'all, are y'all with me? They're not going to be removed from the world. And I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. Do you know that living for God would be a whole lot better if we didn't have to put up with stuff? It would be a whole lot easier to live for God if there was no temptations, nothing ever went wrong. If we already lived in heaven, wouldn't that be cool? And the moment we got saved, God said, okay, I'm just going to plant you in a, I'm I'm just going to just reposition you in this bubble. And now in this bubble, everything's going to be so cool. Some people think when they get saved that that's the way it's going to be. God's just going to put you in this this little bubble, you know, kind of like that little, little snow globe you used to have, that little snow globe, you know, and it's got that little picturesque scene in there and, and you shake it up. Y'all, do y'all know what I'm talking about? So God didn't put you in a snow globe. God didn't surround you with all this kind of uh, unicorns and fairies and pixie dust. This is a whole real living and I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know of a year that, that I've not experienced reality more than I have this year. I mean, I told Brother Marshall the other day, I was telling him, we, we went to do a funeral. Brother Johnny, I, t- I poured my heart out to y'all uh, Sunday, Sunday night. And I, I presented that at the funeral service. I prayed, I believed, you prayed, you believed Brother Johnny is going to be healed. He's going to come up. And we buried him Sunday afternoon. And it was while we were on our way to the burial, we get a phone call about somebody that somebody else, not here. Don't y'all get to fretting and thinking, but somebody that had gotten at their positive COVID test. And so we're like, oh, Lord. We saw them the other day, and I hope they don't give the health department our name. So we buried brother Johnny and then we're coming back to the church, coming back to the church. And we get another phone call of somebody else that's got a positive COVID test. And we're like, oh Lord, we were near them the other day. I hope they don't give the health department our name. So we had to stop at McDonald's and get that 13 box of chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) And I told brother Marshall, I said, brother Marshall, we left the funeral of my brother that died of COVID. The power of God, the presence of God was there. We ministered. But on the way to the cemetery, we get this report. And on the way back to the church, we get this report. I just wish that we could have a little respite. And it's almost like you can't catch a break sometimes. And, and if y'all think pastoring is really easy, tell me your job. I've swapped with you. Except I don't want to. I don't want to quit pastoring. This is what I'm here for. It's what I want to do. But we didn't get pulled out of sin and placed in this little snow globe that every now and then the Holy Ghost would shake it and here would come the little ooey, ooey, gooey stuff and we'd just feel all good. God didn't pull us out of the world and say, hey, honey, I'm going to make you feel good the rest of your life. And he's praying this right here. He said, Lord, you know... That I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world. I'm not praying that you would take them out of all of the struggle that's going on. But I am praying that you would keep them from the evil. And if you don't believe that your God is a keeper, then you don't really know him that well. Because in the midst of all of this, God is our refuge, God is our shelter, God is our strength, God is a present help in time of trouble. You know why some of y'all are sitting here tonight, some of y'all have gone through what you've gone through? It's only because of the keeping power of God. I'm standing behind this pulpit tonight only because of the keeping power of God. And if we are so arrogant to think that we got here all by ourselves, then we're a basket case in the head. We got to realize I didn't get here by myself. The hand of God has been on my life. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? And so he says, pray for yourself that you'd be delivered from evil. And he prayed for us that we would be kept from evil. Now I want you to notice, there's two different facets of this, and I don't want to bore you with details, but when you see the word evil in Matthew 6, you see the word evil in John 17, you see the word evil throughout the New Testament, throughout Scripture. There's two different facets to that. One of them is the evil one, That's a noun. One of them is evil, as in action or an act. That's the verb. When Jesus prays for us, he's praying that we would be, first of all, protected from the evil one. And so he's praying, I'm not asking that you remove them from the world, but I'm asking that you would guard them. Guard them from the evil one. The evil one is Satan. Evil, the verb, you know what? That could be human action. So you've got two different facets here. You've got Satan. You've got self. We know that Satan's evil, but we also ourselves have a propensity to do evil. And the prayer of Jesus is that we are kept from evil. I told you he prayed three things, that we be kept from evil, that we be sanctified by truth, and that we become one. We're kept from evil. We become like Jesus. That's what the sanctification of his truth does. It makes us to begin to appear to, to look like him, to be like him. And then we are to become one by being united with each other. So the purpose of all of this prayer, the purpose of being kept from evil, of being sanctified and being one with each other and one with him, is is because we are in this flesh. We're in the flesh, but we're not of the flesh. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Romans 8 9, we read that scripture a moment ago, but let me go back and look at it. We're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. We read it a moment ago, but go back and look at it again. John 17, 16, Jesus says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We've got to continually remind ourselves that we are not of this world. And if Jesus prayed this prayer for us, that is, he's showing that's what's on his heart. That's his heart for us. I'm going to start tying this together, but I want you to hear this. If Jesus prayed these things, and if he prayed this prayer, showing what's on his heart for you and I, that we be kept from evil, that we be sanctified by truth, that we be one, one with each other, one with him, one in love. Then on the flip side of that, Satan desires that the opposite of what Jesus prayed be what actually happens in our life. Y'all with me? If Jesus' heart was this, and Satan knows this prayer, Satan may know this prayer better than we know this prayer. And if Jesus' heart was this, then Satan's desire is to do the opposite. So then our responsibility is to align ourselves with Jesus. Don't you think that if Jesus prayed this way, then the prayer that we, ha- we should have for our own life would be the same? That, Lord, you keep me from evil, sanctify my life by your truth, and make me one with you and one with my brothers and sisters. I read a quote this recently, and I shared it at our Bible study this morning. I read the quote that says, prayer fails when the desire for personal holiness fails. If you're struggling in your prayer life and if, there's, if you have a trouble, if you have trouble just getting a hold of God and praying and pushing yourself into that place of prayer and you're seeing failure coming up, grab a hold of that thought that prayer fails when the desire for personal holiness fails. But when we desire to pursue after him, we're going to go after him. Jesus said this, you pray for your own life. Lead us not into temptation. Let's break this down in about the next eight minutes. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation is trials, that's testing. Temptation is also allurements, which lead us or lead to evil being acted out or perpetrated. In our life, he said, Pray that we not be led into temptation, pray to be delivered from evil. And then he prayed for us that we be kept from evil, that we be delivered from the power of the evil one. If you're writing notes, why don't you write this down. Temptations is about self. Every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Temptation is about self. And Satan uses temptation to lead us into entrapment of evil. There's a malicious intent behind temptation. He is leading us to a separation from God. He's leading us to where we're drawn away from our own by our own lust and enticed. And lust when it is conceived brings forth sin. And sin when it is finished brings forth death. The word evil means bad, it means means wicked. It means malicious. And evil takes on two different facets, as I told you all ago. It takes on the action. There's the action of the wickedness, the maliciousness, the, the evil. And then there is the evil one, Satan himself. There's either the noun or the verb. So the enemy, the evil one, has a strategy. And y'all got to get this, all right? Get this. Three things the Lord gave me. The evil one has the strategy of this. Number one. To get us to focus on self. Number two, to make us static. I'm going to explain it in a minute. Number three, to take away stability. So the tactic of the enemy, number one, is to get us to focus on self. This is as old as the Garden of Eden story. When that tree that was planted, and God told Adam and Eve, "Don't you eat of that tree." And so the tempter, Satan himself, brought about the temptation there in the Garden of Eden. The same thing is repeated in the temptation in the in the wilderness when Jesus was fasting, and then the same thing is repeated in First John chapter two. In John, in, in Genesis chapter three, verse six, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was a tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit, she ate, she gave it to her husband, and he did eat. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in these same three areas to turn stones into bread. Everything that he saw to be given to him, to throw himself off the temple. John explained it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So Satan comes in, and he uses our own weaknesses against us to tempt us with the lust of the, the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. He tempts us through our own desires. And I was talking in Bible study this morning about these things. I, I'm not too, I don't think that I'm tempted too harsh in the, in the uh, uh, pride of life area. But the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh I am. And don't stand there staring at me. Some of y'all tempted by all three of them. You know, I struggle with it, and I told my Bible study group a few months ago, two months ago, I told my Bible study group about a struggle that I have. I'm struggling because I'd spotted this pair of shoes, this double monk strap, gray shoes that, that were dressy on the top and had a, had a sneaker sole, the coolest shoes I'd ever seen in my life, and I wanted them. And I fought down that urge to get them. I can't get them because they cost too much money. And I backed down off of it. But I shared that with them because I was driving home the point. And you know what they did? They bought them for me. It's like the Garden of Eden experience. I had fought down that urge and my Bible study group helped me to yield to the lust of my eye. And the lust of my flesh. But I'm going to wear them every time I get a chance, and I'm going to thank God for them. I like shoes. I'm man enough to admit it. If I can be that stinking honest with y'all, y'all need to be honest with your own self. Because we all struggle with these things, and that's Satan's inroad. And you know what he wants us to do? He wants us to deny that we even have any problems. You need to, you need to every single day boldly come before the throne of grace and say, God, I need help just to make it through this day. I ain't even left the house yet, and I'm already struggling. I need your help. Self. Ephesians 6. 16 Paul writes to us and tells us to take the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So this is his strategy. It's working at us through our own desires, working at us from that self, that self thing, you know, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. The second thing is static. You know what static means? Static means you're just stopped, you're not going anywhere. so if he can keep us from advancing, he's done a pretty good job. So his goal is to get us in, his goal is to get us just focused on self. And if we can kind of get that worked out in our life, then he's going to get us static. He's going to get us stopped. He's going to keep us from advancing. How does he keep us from advancing? He keeps us from advancing by bringing up our past, tying us to our past. He keeps us from advancing by keeping us bogged down with cares. Anybody got any cares of life? He keeps us bogged down by clutter. How many of you have just got too much junk going on in your life? And he keeps us bogged down by continual crisis It's one after another. You get your act together and then all of a sudden this happens. So he keeps us from advancing. Have y'all stopped because it's 8 o'clock? Good. He keeps us from advancing static. Itself, it's static. Just paused, It stopped. He keeps us immobilized. He keeps us in this place, keeps us from advancing, from progressing. By immobilizing us with reoccurring things, repeating things. And as long as it works for him, there's no need for him to change the game plan. I mean, if you just keep repeating the same thing, well, he doesn't need to change his strategy. And then the third and final thing, he's after your stability. The goal of maturing in our faith is to reach a place of stability. And if the goal of reaching stability is what the Lord has placed there for us, then the goal of the evil one is to sabotage our stability. So if we do a pretty good job dealing with self, and if we get to moving, have y'all sensed this? Then he wants to come along and shake things up. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober. Peter tells us this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Notice these words closely. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. Mature, establish, strengthen, settle you. Because if he can keep you from getting settled in your faith, come on now, if he can get you from or keep you from being established, here you are. You're firm, you're standing, you're on the rock. Strengthened, settled. If he can keep you in a constant state of chaos. He's going to render you less effective than what God had intended for you to be. I'm telling somebody something tonight that you need to hear, you need to receive it because maybe you're not struggling with self and maybe you are moving somewhere and you're not just stagnant or static, you're not just stopped. But he's been trying to keep you from getting settled, being stable. And God's plan for what you've gone through and what you have worked through in your own life, in your pursuit of maturing after the things of God, God's plan is to establish, to strengthen, to settle you. Verse 11 says, to him be glory and dominion forever." and ever. Amen. I want you to stand with me. I want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. We're in the world. We're here. And it's a struggle, there's a battle. But the Lord prayed for you that evil and the plan and the strategy of the evil one would not work in your life. The goal for your life is to be so st- so settled so established so stable that you're going to be able to not be moved by what in- no matter what happens by anything that life or hell would throw at you I want you to reach over and just put your hand on the back of that person beside you. And I just want you to pray for them right now. Would you pray, God, just establish them in the faith, strengthen them, Lord, settle them. God, I know you're working in our lives and I know that you prayed for us. I know that you taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And I know that you prayed for us that we would be kept from evil. And know, Lord, you prayed for us that would be sanctified by your truth, that we would be one with you, one with each other, one in love. God, I pray today in this room as we've gone into your word together, as we've studied the things of God together. I pray, O Lord, that you would let something go deep into our heart, the desire not only to have heard, but to act upon, not only to, to know intuitively or intellectually, but Lord, to know you in a deep experiential way. Help us in Jesus' name. God, I pray you'd fill us with your Spirit. I pray you'd empower us by your Spirit. I pray that you'd lead us by your Spirit in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's sing again. Let's sing then. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.